good, Church on the Rock? I'm going to be honest with you. First service was three times smaller than you and four times louder than you. For those of you who are guests and this is your first time, you're off the hook, okay? Uh, the reason we do the good morning, Church on the Rock, good morning, Rashad, we simply want to know that you are here and you are eager to hear a word from God, that you are awake, that you are alive, uh, the energy that we exchange with one another. That's the only reason we do it. So when I say good morning, Church on the Rock, I want you to say good morning, Rashad, not Rashad, not Rashid, not it. it's Rashad, okay? Good morning, Church on the Rock! Praise God. Let's get going into his word. That sounds like some excitement. So we're going to continue on our Romans journey. You know where we're at. We're in Romans, walking through Romans slowly, however long it takes us. I'm going to stop putting five years on that because it looks like it's just getting longer and longer. But we're starting a brand new series. It's called Gospel Talk. Gospel talk. So we've had kingdom talk like five weeks ago. And then for four weeks, we did real talk and we looked at prayer. And now we are grounding ourselves on a sermon series called Gospel Talk. So we're going to be in Romans 1 verses 14 through 15. I'm going to read through that. And then we're going to break this down. And it might be a short sermon. We'll see how that goes. So um, Paul says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. He says, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, before we get started, I didn't think I was going to talk about this, but it's sitting right here on my desk, so I have to. I found my hairbrush, all right? Leah wanted to play. Thank you. Thank you. Leah wanted to play the song, oh, where, where's my hairbrush? Whatever. But the reason this is important is because I told my wife for the last week she needs to buy me a new hairbrush because I lost my hairbrush. She's like, did you check your book bag? I said, yeah, I checked my book bag. And I checked my book bag. But this morning, I looked a little bit deeper, and when I looked deeper and felt around, I found my hairbrush. It's right here. That's a Notre Dame shirt. I'm sorry, Michigan won. Amen. All right. All right. So, <laughs> so, look, so look at this. I found my hairbrush because I dug deeper. What does that got to do with the sermon, Rashad? Romans 1, 14, 15, 16, and 17, very, very, very familiar verses. People know those verses who are like seasoned Christians. And so I'm saying to the seasoned Christians, when you dig deeper, you find things that you never knew were there. Don't tune this message out because you know the scriptures, all right? I'm being, God's revealing himself to me in ways I've never seen before every single week. And I've studied Romans from the moment I was saved. And I'm finding new stuff every single week. Do not tune out God's word because you're familiar with it. Dig a little deeper and you may find a spiritual hairbrush. Amen. All right. So the first point I have is this right here. Your gospel obligation. Write it down. Your gospel obligation. Paul opens up the scriptures and he says, I am under obligation. I am under obligation. And we have to ask, do we as believers feel that we are under obligation? Now, before we get started in this part of the scriptures, I want to remind the church this. When we gather for church, for ecclesia, for a gathering, my first responsibility, according to God's word, as a pastor is to equip the saints 
to do the work of the ministry. So when I'm talking here, a lot of this is to equip you, not so that you can bring more people in here, but so that you can go out to people who will not come in here and share these truths with them. That is my first responsibility. Then to everybody else who is in the room who may not believe in the word of God, who may not believe in the Bible, my responsibility is to share the gospel since you are among us. But I am focusing also mainly on equipping saints because we're gathered for that reason and that reason first. I want to make sure everybody has that because when I'm talking, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get the people who know Christ to get out of these walls and go tell people who don't know Christ about God. I'm not trying to get people or convince other people to stay here or to bring more people here. Go reach them where they're at so that they don't have to come in here first. They can fall in love with Christ through you and then find their own way to the church. That's what the gospel talk is all about, all right? All right, let's start there. So do you, believers actually feel an obligation. The Greek word for under obligation means an actual debt. Do you actually feel a weight, a debt to people in regards to sharing the gospel? Do you actually feel like it's something you have to do? do you, would you give your life for it? Paul says in Acts 20, look at this is Paul talking. He says, but I do not consider my life of any account is dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of grace of God. In other words, Paul says, my life does not matter if it will interfere with me doing what God has charged me to do and sharing the gospel. Can you say that? Can you actually say, I would give up my life, my life, for the gospel. Now, a lot of people say, yes, man, I would die for Christ. I would give up my life for Christ. Okay, okay. Well, then what about the comforts of your life? Would you give up the comforts of your life for the gospel? Would you give up the habits of your life for the gospel? If you having to stop sipping on that wine, sipping on that beer to reach that alcoholic, would you give that up for the sake of the gospel? Would you put down the weed because it makes the gospel look bad when people see you breaking the state laws? Would you put it down so that you can reach people for the gospel? This is what it's looking at. My life doesn't matter to me. No, 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 nothing matters to me except the gospel. If there's teenagers, there's a couple teenagers in here, would you go sit at the table with the student or, or, or the, the, the one that has the bad reputation and, and sits all alone by themselves, they're known as the stinky one or the whatever one, would you go sit down with them to share the gospel and, and, and know that it might hinder your reputation and might make you look bad to the rest of the world, but this is what God called you to do? Because that's what Paul's saying right here. He said, I don't consider my life anything in regards to finishing the course of the ministry that he received from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is all of our responsibilities. If we're Christians, if we are who we say we are, if we believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, then this is the responsibility. He goes on and look at this in 2 Corinthians 5 when he's talking to the Corinthian church. He says, for the love of Christ controls me. 
Like, let that weigh on you. The love of Christ actually controls me. The love of Christ puppets me. It controls me. It's It's what motivates me. It's what moves me. He says, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. He says, and he died, Jesus, died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. The they in that scripture right there is any of you who claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He died for you so that they who live, they who have eternal life, will forsake their earthly life. He's talking to the believers. If you have eternal life, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've given up your earthly life. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You you, you don't make your decisions. The love of Christ actually controls you. It has control over you because you've given your, li- your earthly life over for that eternal life. But for him who died and rose, you, you've given it up for him who died and rose again on your behalf or their behalf. He says, therefore, so because of that information, from now on, we believers recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Here comes a famous verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. In other words, your engine was bad, right? You didn't get a paint job and the engine is still bad. It's a brand new car. Does that make sense? The old things have completely passed away. This isn't, this isn't a car with a bad engine that just gets a paint job on it but still has a bad engine. You are a completely new vehicle. Uh, for those of you who are here for the 11 a.m. service and weren't here at the first service, maybe you've seen my Facebook this morning. I found a, you know how they do the memories on Facebook and they show you things from the past? I found a graphic that I posted 10 years ago, uh, 2009, that had like these ugly, crazy, demonic-looking pumpkins on it, and it was like, yo, come to Ball State for this performance design, which, is, which was my secular rap name or whatever, um, and other artists will be performing here. And I just thought through that. I thought through that for a moment and was like, hey, Shola, back then when I posted that, I was saying, I was literally trying to get people to come to Ball State, come to this show, so I could perform for the world, so I could cheat on my wife, so I could claim that I was making money to provide and make ends meet, but honestly just wanted to be able to have some more liquor and more things that I want, right? And here I am 10 years later, now that God has gotten a hold of me, and I'm a brand new creation. I still post on Facebook, as most of you know, (laughs) but now I'm posting inviting people to church. Not to perform for the, word, the world, but to preach the word. Not to cheat on my wife, but to give myself away to my wife as Christ gave himself away for the church. My way of providing for my daughter now is pushing her back into the scriptures. Everything's different. I'm an absolutely new creation. I'm an absolutely new vehicle. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. You see that? This is what it's supposed to look like. And, 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 and my boys, like I looked at the names on there because I had forgotten some of their rap names. A lot of them then turned their back on me because I gave my life up for Christ. Man, you don't want to go to the club anymore. You don't want to drink anymore. You don't sell the dope anymore. You don't do all these things you used to do. We don't want nothing to do with you anymore. You seem brand new, right? Like, why are you acting brand new? Because I am, <laughs> right? I actually am. I am a brand new creation. Those old things have passed away. I didn't turn my back on them. 
They turned their back on me because I won't run in the, in the ways that they want to run. I won't run in the circles that they want to run anymore. I'm like, yo, this is a better way. This is a new way. This is the gospel. And yet they don't want nothing to do with me. Okay, so Paul keeps going. He says, now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So remember, those of you who've been here for a while, reconciliation in this context is a financial term. When you leave the country and you take your American dollars to another country, you have to reconcile the money. You have to take it to the bank of that area, of that country, and take your American dollars and have them made right or have them reconciled with the country so, you can, so that it can be the correct currency, right? What's, what's mind-blowing about God is this. Your currency, your spiritual currency is not right for heaven, okay? So by human standards, you would need to initiate the process of reconciling your spiritual currency with God because it's you who's in the wrong, not him. But God, loving those who hate him, loving those with the wrong spiritual currency, comes down and reconciles us to himself. He initiates it. That is mind-blowing that God would say, you're not right for the kingdom, Larry, but I'm going to do something to reconcile you and bring you into the kingdom through my son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, he looks at every believer who's been reconciled through Christ and says, it's your turn to initiate. It's your turn to go to the lost and to preach the gospel. And, and it's your obligation to do it because I gave you this ministry. You see it up there? Can, can you see it? So a lot of us do this. We go, hey, pastor, loving church. I don't know what I'm called to do. And I'm like, okay, um, well, First, every Christian is called to the ministry of reconciliation. Every last, so maybe you don't know if you should preach, you should sing in the worship choir, you should be on the slides, or you should be on the hospitality. Maybe you don't know exactly what your call is. But look, I'm going to help you out. Every Christian is called to the ministry of reconciliation. Every last one of you who say, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So some of you would say, well, Rashad, if there's a debt... If there's a debt, right, Keisha, to, to something that I thought was free, I thought the gospel was free. How was there a debt? Mm -mm. The gospel is free, okay? Jesus Christ died for your souls. If you believe in Jesus, if you confess Christ as Lord, if you believe he was raised from the dead, if you believe in him as Lord and Savior, that's it. The gospel is free. You will be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Jeremiah and Caden, we baptize them today because they called on the name of Jesus. They are saved. But when you call Jesus Lord, you call him controller of your life. When you call him, when you confess, I agree with you, God, that you are Lord. Therefore, you control my life. You are my master. You are in control. Well, if that's true, he says, okay, here's what I have for you. Go reconcile people to me. Go introduce people to me. Go live for me. Give your life up. If anyone wants to follow me, he must die to himself. Go make disciples. Yeah, you called him Lord, but all you wanted was a savior. You didn't want a Lord. 
If you won't preach the gospel for whatever reason you want to insert in there, it's because you never wanted a Lord. You just wanted a Savior. You just wanted a Superman to take care of you. You didn't actually want to obey any commands. And you'll put anything in there that's because of your life for not doing it. All your excuses have to do with your life and your comfort. Period. They have nothing to do with you surrendering to Jesus as Lord. Name a reason you won't preach the gospel. Name it. And when I say that, I'm not asking you to preach the gospel like this up here, okay? I'm not saying everybody in here needs to get on stage. Matter of fact, I like talking too much, so y'all can't get up here, all right? I'm just playing. People want to preach. Nick's like, yeah, I'm waiting. <laughs> no, but look at this. But look at this. Look at this. You have a responsibility. Preach. The word preach in the Greek simply means proclaim. It means to just proclaim, right? So I don't have to be up here to proclaim Christ. I can get down here. I can sit right here and proclaim Christ from right here. You see that? I can talk to somebody out there in the parking lot and proclaim Christ. I can be at a barbershop and proclaim Christ, a beauty salon and proclaim Christ. I can be working on a construction site and proclaim Christ. It doesn't matter where you you are at. You can always proclaim Jesus Christ, proclaim the gospel. And not only that, you have an obligation to do it. It's your responsibility. Do do you understand that? So Paul goes on and says, he says, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's the gospel. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. Have you, have you ever thought about that? As believers, God is he's, he's appealing, he's begging the world through you, and you won't even go beg. <laughs> he, he wants to appeal to the world through you, and you won't even go do it. He's appealing through us. That's why, look what Paul says. He says, we beg you. Go back real quick. He says, we beg you on behalf of Christ. We we beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Now, Now go to the next slide. He says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And if you're struggling with that word righteousness, we will be teaching that word next week. The whole sermon will be on that one word. That's how I get down. Okay. Next up. So look at this. Mark 16, 15. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel to all creation. So think about this. If um, I'm trying to see if there's any little, little kids in here. No little kids in here. But if one of the little kids from the back, if we're standing around in the parking lot and you know, churches lit out all over the place, and 267 is, you know, going back and forth, and it's busy out there. And one of the kids was about to run across 267 right out here across the street. What would it look like if everybody in the parking lot was like, ain't my kid? Right? Like, it's kind of uncomfortable to laugh about that, right? Right? But, but that's what we're saying when we don't share the gospel. You're like, okay, I see these cars coming. If the kid crosses the street, the kid is going to die. It's going to get hit by a car. I can do something to stop the kid from going, but that's not my responsibility because I don't know the kid. I don't know their parents. I don't even like the kid, to be honest with you. You're like, <laughs> like, that's what we're doing. We're looking and saying, you know what? I'm not going to stop that kid from getting hit because that's not my obligation. That's not my, But everybody in here would say, No, if you see something, you got to do something about it, right? 
Mmm, okay. Okay, so you see people in your life every single day on their way to hell and you won't say nothing to them? You won't even introduce yourself to at least create a relationship so that you can share the gospel? Because what? Not your responsibility? Hmm? Like this is what we say. We say, I don't owe nobody nothing. Right? That's what I don't owe nobody nothing. I don't owe nobody an explanation, justification. I don't owe nobody nothing. But look what Paul says right here. Paul says, for though I am free, I'm free from all men. I ain't a slave to nobody. Ain't nobody here my daddy. Right? I don't, I don't owe y'all nothing. Nobody, I don't owe, if I don't, if I quit tomorrow, I don't owe you nothing. If I decide to not preach at Church on the Rock or go somewhere else or not go to church, I don't owe you nothing. I don't owe you anything. But if I'm looking at Paul as my example, he says, I'm free from all men, but I've made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. I go from I don't owe you nothing to I owe you everything. I'm under obligation that's, that's what happens when you have a gospel obligation, when you truly understand that the Bible says the power of salvation is in the God. The power of God for salvation is in the gospel. It's in the, go, it's in the gospel message. And, and don't let the world fool you. They say, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. That's what they say. And that's cute. That's real cute. Like, I like it. It's cute. I'm like, oh, I get it. That's cute. But the Bible says faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, not by seeing. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing, right? So, so preach the gospel. And, and let me tell you something like, oh, Rashad, well, I'm trying, but I don't know it that well. Man, Caden and Jeremiah are six and seven, and they preached the gospel last week. All I know, Pastor, is that I'm a sinner because when mommy tells me to do something, I don't do it. That's exactly what they said. And it was like, and since I don't do it, that means I'm a sinner. And, and sinners can't go to heaven. And I was like, okay, so what's the big problem? I mean, everybody, you know, sins, right? Yes, but you can't go to heaven unless you believe in Jesus because he's the only way that your sins go bye-bye. Sins go bye-bye. I was like, I could preach that right now, right? Like, I do a sermon series called Bye, 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 right? Like, <laughs> but, 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 but he said, they, they, they was like, the sins go bye-bye. And I said, okay, so what does that mean? It's like, so if I believe in Jesus, if I just, if I really give everything to him, then I get to be in heaven with God. It wasn't I get to be in heaven with mom or grandpa or even with each other. They said, I get to be in heaven with God. And they, and they said, so I want to be baptized because he told me to. I was, Okay. Like, I could put them up here and say that, and that's the gospel. That's the gospel. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. Christ died. If I believe in him, my sins are washed away so I can be with my father forever. What else do you want? Huh? Because the other stuff you want, you don't even know. You see that? So, so I'm a slave to all so that I may win some. Look at this. Put this down. Sharing the gospel is not an option. It's your obligation. It's not optional. God didn't say, hey, when your marriage is good and your finances are right and, you know, it's a person you really, really like. And if, you're, if you didn't wake up on the wrong side of the day, bed and, and if your team won last night, and then if you feel like it, preach the gospel. That's, that's not the scripture. It's simple. Preach the gospel to everybody. 
right? Preach the gospel to everybody. Simple. It's, it's that simple. You, we are the ones that make it difficult. Well, what if, uh-uh-uh, let me say it again. Preach the gospel to everybody. But what about, no, 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 no. Preach the gospel to everybody. It's not an option. It's your obligation. So here's where it gets tough. My next slide. Your gospel obstacles. This is where it gets tough. You see, Paul goes on and he says this. I'm under obligation, look at this, both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So let's, let's first think about the letter. In its context, the Greeks of the, to the people that he was writing, the Romans, would have been anybody Greek-speaking who was civilized by their standards, cultured by their standards. Basically, anybody they was comfortable around. The barbarians were people who basically spoke another language or were from another country, which Rome, Rome would have been like the melting pot of the world at that time. Rome would have been New York City, you know what I mean, where it's all kinds of different nationalities and everything. That was Rome. So uh, barbarians is literally, the, the Greek is an onomatopoeia where, I'm not going to explain that. Anyway, so, so, Bar, bar, bar. When they would talk about how people talked, when they didn't understand their language, they would say, oh, they're bar, 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 bar. You know, them, them people who bar, 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 bar. So bar, bar, barbarians, right? We say like yadi, 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 right? Like yadi, yadi, yadians, right? <laughs> so the bar, bar, barbarians are people who spoke a different language, okay? And so that's what it meant in its original context. It was basically you had the Greek who were wise because, you know, we understand each other and we're influential, blah, blah, blah. You had the barbarians who were foolish. Some people split those groups up. Nah, you could do that too. But you had the barbarians who were the uncivilized, the non-Greeks, anybody who was non-Greek. And so that's what it meant then. So we could take it just like that right there, face value, and say, okay, we know there's people, even in the Brunswick community, who speak a different language than us, so they would be considered in this text like the barbarians to us because we don't understand their language. They don't understand our language, so we're different. There's a barrier there. Paul says, you know what? I feel a debt to them too. Even if they don't speak my language, I feel a debt to them too. But let's, let's dig deeper for the spiritual hairbrush, right? Let's dig deeper in that backpack. All right, go back, go back. Go back real quick. Thank you. All right. So look, Greeks and the barbarians, there's people in your life who don't speak your language. Think about it. There's people in your life right now who don't speak your language. So to the Jews who were not Greek, everybody in this room was a barbarian. Look what it says in Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, it says, therefore, remember, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but look, remember that you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcisions, because you were different, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember this. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in this world. You were the barbarians to, to heaven. If heaven is a, is a kingdom and a place and a residence and a country and, a, and there are citizens in heaven, before you believed in Christ, you were the bar barbarians to heaven. You were the excluded. You were the outsiders. Somebody had to feel an obligation to talk to you. You were the lost. 
I don't care if you were saved at five or 50. You were the barbarians to heaven, and somebody felt an obligation to preach the gospel to you. So remember that, because it goes on and says, it's because of that, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, you were the far, far, farians, right? You, you were far off. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Give me my next slide. Your, bar, your barriers separate you from your barbarians. Think about this. Who are the bar, Christians, I'm talking to the believers right now. Who are the barbarians in your life? Hmm? What rubs you the wrong way? Who are the, who are the barbarians in your world? Huh? You, you got a problem with the LGBTQ community? So much of a problem that you won't go as if you had a debt to them and share the gospel with them? Huh? You, you got to, like, think about different languages here, right? Money talks, right? If you're in this tax bracket and I'm in this tax bracket, we talk a little different, don't we? Don't we? We talk different. And there's a barrier right there. Will you share the gospel with the person who ain't got money like you that lives in the middle of the hood? Or if you're in the hood, will you share the gospel with the person from the suburb that goes to the same workplace as you do? Um, um, culture talks. If I'm wearing a God is dope shirt and you don't agree with that language or whatever, but this is where I come from, this is who I am, will you share the gospel with me when my hood is up and my pants is sagging low and I pull up to the gas station bumping something you don't agree with? Will you speak to me? Will you even acknowledge me if God puts me in your path? Or if I got my pants up and I got my cowboy boots on and you from the hood and you scared of white people, will you speak to me? Will you talk to me? Because, see, I feel an obligation that if God woke me up and told me to go to a KKK rally where they was burning a cross, I'm on my way. Why? Because I'm under obligation. You need to feel that. You need to feel that. Because many of you won't share the gospel with people because of your barriers. They're barbarians to you. They're human beings, but they, they voted for a different president. So they're barbarians to you. They're human beings, but they sin in a different way. Huh? They got a whole lot of kids by a whole lot of different daddies, and so therefore, I just don't feel comfortable. Give me a break, right? Like, give me a break with all these barriers that we claim Christ broke down for us, but all of a sudden, we building them back up for others. What does that look like, Christians? Hmm? And we, and we wonder why people don't want to come in this door. It's because we put a barrier up over there. We put a big old barrier up over there and said, you're not allowed in until you look like us. Until you look like the Greeks, you're a barbarian. You can't come in here looking like that, acting like that, talking like that, smelling like that. How much sense does that make when Christ looked at you in your filthiness, smelling any old kind of way, and died for you? Died for you so that you could have eternal life. Think about that. So you have to ask yourself, who are the barbarians in your life? And then look at this. Who do you know that God's not able to save? Tell me that. Who do you actually know that God is not able to save? Come on, Christians. Think of somebody. Think real deep. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt Ooh. I'm a, see, he thought he was preaching next month. He ain't preaching. Never again. No, I'm just playing. 
We're going to talk about that, okay? Get the song ready, all right? No. Look at this, though. Look at this, though. Look at this, though. Who, go back, go back. Who do you know that God is not able to save? You know what that shows me? It doesn't show me nothing about the person you name. It shows me everything about what you believe about God. You name that person and name whatever you want. Let's just take Kanye. Let's take Kanye, for instance, right? A lot of people don't believe Kanye could actually be saved. First off, let me say this up here because you guys might have to defend your pastor since people are seeing my post everywhere. Let me just say this so that it's on a podcast, all right? Philippians 1.18 says, when the message is right, I'm paraphrasing, when the message is right, I don't, I'm not responsible for the motives. The message is right, and therefore I rejoice in Christ. I don't know Kanye's motive. I don't know his heart. Everything about the fruit of that CD says that he is saved. Is he or isn't he? I don't know. He could denounce Christ tomorrow. The message is right. And if you're fearful to, to rejoice over the message because he might be wrong, well, then don't rejoice about anything I preach because I could be wrong tomorrow. Okay? I know pastors that are falling into sin every week and falling in the same way who were Yay, pastor, yay. Oh, you doing what with who? Oh, I, yeah, exactly. So I'm rejoicing over the message of that CD and what he's saying. The motives, I don't know. So I'm praying. I'm praying that the motives are right. And I'm praying for his heart. I'm praying he gets a, a congregation and all that. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. God's able. That's what I do know. God's able. Don't care about his past. Have you heard about my past? Have you, have you heard? I mean... Some of you are, this is your first time here, ask me after church. I don't want to go into it now. But if, if God can save me, I'm the impossible to a lot of people. And there's some worse than me that I've met who were the impossible to me. All the barbarians that I thought of, they're go- I don't see anybody as a barbarian no more. Why? Because I've seen him do the impossible. So that tells me something about what you believe. When you look at somebody and say, well, I don't know about him. Why not? I don't know about her. Why not? Because of the way they treated me, because I, nah, God is able. All right? So moving on, look at this. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians 9.19. Even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. I'm doing an NLT version so you can really feel this. He says, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to the law. So this is like this. There are churches who preach King James Version only. You cannot open up any other version of the Bible in our church, and if you're going to preach in our pulpit, you better have a suit on. I know there is no law in the Bible that says I have to use the King James Version or that I have to wear a suit. But if that's going to create a barrier between me and the people I've been called to preach to, then I'm opening up the King James and I'm putting on a suit so that I may win somebody. I will let go of my liberties for my obligation and my love for people. Will you do the same? Will you do the same? Will you actually let go of the things you know you have a right to because you give up all your rights for the sake of the gospel? That's what this is saying. He says, um, even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. He goes on. He says, when I was with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But look at this, but I do not ignore the law of God. So that's, that's for the ones that are extreme on the other way. They're like, well, Rashad, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. I will do all things for all people. So that's why I'm going to the strip club to do this strip club ministry. And you're like, time out, time out. 
talking about, talking about, no, 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 no. You still are under the law of God, the law of Christ. You belong to Christ. How about you just Uber in the parking lot? You know what I'm saying? Like, don't go in, Uber in the parking lot and minister that way. So in other words, I'm not going to forego what the Bible says is right and wrong to, to meet somebody where they're at. I still have, I cannot ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ even while meeting people where they're at. Because people will literally be like, I'm, 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 that doesn't even add up, right? So we got to be careful with that because people will take that and say, well, I'm doing it because I'm meeting the Gentiles where they're at. Yeah, but you still got to obey the law of Christ. You see that? And then going, going forward, he says, when, when I am with those who are weak, I share with their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try, look at this. I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. You see that? To save some. Keep going. He says, I do everything to spread the good news and sharing his blessings. So look at this. Uh, it's like if you share the gospel with everybody, somebody eventually will be saved. If you share the gospel with nobody, nobody will be saved. It's like the basketball uh, illustration. Um, if you miss 100% of the, sh- uh, of the shots you don't take, right? If, if you're worried about missing the shot. I'm not sure if I can. Yo, just share the gospel. I don't know if they're going to believe me. Just share the gospel. Don't, don't worry about their response. When you get to heaven, you can't look at God and be like, I was going to share the gospel, but I was around a whole bunch of people I wasn't sure they was going to believe or not. He, like God going to be like, really, bro? Like, <laughs> you, got, you, you shoot the shot. Shoot the shot. Eventually, one of them will fall down. And when you have that joy, it's a joy like none other. So going to the next slide. Your gospel opportunities, that's my last point. You have your gospel obligation, you have your gospel obstacles, and now your gospel opportunities. Keep going here. He says, so for my part, look at this, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So that obligation wasn't an obligation that was met with resentment. It wasn't a job obligation. Like, man, I'm obligated to go to work Monday because they pay my bills and I'm obligated. I really don't want to be there. And you just complaining the whole way. No, no, no. He's eager to preach the gospel. It's not a job. It's a joy. Because of what he knows about the gospel, it's a joy. It's not, oh, woe is me. I got to preach. I got to preach the gospel, Skip. I, oh, I hate this part of Christianity. Like, you know, that's, that's not what it is. It's excitement. You mean I get to share life with people who are on their way to, are you serious? Like, I really get to do that? Oh, man, like, I, I can't wait to preach. I'm eager to preach the gospel. Everything we talked about in Paul's prayers and how he was begging and longing to get to Rome, Andrew, all of that was so that he could preach the I'm begging to get to Rome for the opportunity to share the gospel. Remember, all of this is the same letter. So we changed sermon series titles, but it's the same letter. I'm begging God for opportunities to speak to people. I don't want this church to grow so we get more money. I just want more opportunities. I just want people to come in here so I can share the gospel with more people. People who are on their way to hell because hell is a real thing. Hell is an absolutely real thing. And because of that, that means heaven is real. And if there's heaven and there's hell and I got the power in the gospel message to share something so simple and so easy, a six-year-old can understand it and I get to share it every Sunday. Oh, man. I, are you serious? Are you like, that's why I talk so much. I really, the only thing I'm really talking about is the gospel. Y'all know it's true. Y'all be like, Rashad, what you eating for dinner? Man, God said. <laughs> Man, God, you know, that's how it works. So closing this out, you're, you are obligated to converse, not convert. 
you don't have to save anybody. Your responsibility is not to save. It's to have the gospel conversations. God does the saving. You don't have to convert. That's one of the barriers for you for not sharing the gospel. You're like, Rashad, I would share the gospel, but I'm scared that the way I share it or the way I say it or the person I want to say it to, I'm scared that I'm not going to save them. Like, I've been sharing the gospel, Rashad, and I'm 0 for 20. Like, I'm, I'm batting bad, man. I think I need to stop because I'm not good at this. It ain't got nothing to do with you. It has absolutely nothing to do. That's why when people back in the day, and he's not here, but when people started coming to this church back in the day, Jason, our other pastor in the kids' ministry, sharing the gospel at a kid's level, right? Every single Sunday, every day, that's what he does. So when he gets up here and he has to preach to adults, he's still kind of like, man, that's awkward to switch it and preach to adults because I'm always preaching to kids. Just like when I go preach to kids, I'm like, they're not going to understand this because this is like, I can't talk to them about that. That's way over their heads, right? Imagine talking to five-year-olds about like addictions of stuff. You're like, I can't do that, right? So it's hard for me to go back there. It's hard for him to come up here, but people would be like this. They'd be like, I don't know about Jason, man. I'm just saying, like, compared to you, blah, 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 blah. But it's funny. That year that people were saying all that and whispering behind his back and all that, guess who was being saved the most? The kids. It was the kids. Adults weren't moving in this church, but the kids, one by one, week after week, it didn't matter if he was preaching on this adult level, on this kid level. He was preaching the gospel. Kids were believing, and they were like, that's it? That, that's what I got. I'm in. I'm in. And kids were being saved like crazy that year because he was just willing to preach the gospel. Wasn't worried about how, what you thought about his preaching or what you thought about how he, how he shared the gospel. He was just worried about being under obligation to preach the gospel. When y'all going to stop worrying about yourselves and just do it? Just do it. It's God's word. I, I preach the gospel. This might be a, a horrible sermon. I don't know. I'm like, God, it's on you from here. I, I studied. I shared my heart. I, I remained true to the text. There's some people here like, man, he's, he's horrible. Okay, God, you got to work on their hearts. That's not my responsibility. I'm just the vessel that he wants to use. I'm just saying I'm under obligation to do it. So, so go on. Look, I want you to see this. Go to the Real quick, I'm going to stop it right here. This is my last one. Oh, good time. You can go get them and start getting them ready. All right. So look at this. When, when you write this down, read Acts 10 for yourself, first of all. Please read Acts 10 sometime this week for yourself. Make it your personal reading. But I want you to see this really quick. There's a guy named Cornelius who's a Gentile. Um, he's not a Jew. All right. So there's, there's going to be a barrier here. And he's praying to God. The God we know. And, and, and there's, a, there's a messenger, I'm summarizing this, that comes down and says, your prayers have been heard, your alms have been received. Send some people to this place, Joppa, to, for this guy named Simon, who's also known as Peter, uh, at, this, at the, the, the tanner of this, this guy named Simeon. I don't, but basically he says, hey, God heard your prayers, send some people out to go get Peter, the apostle that we know, Peter, the disciple that we know, okay? Now, you got to remember, Peter is a racist, okay? I know you're like, but he was a disciple. Okay, he was racist. Peter did not like Gentiles whatsoever. He was a Jew, and he did not like Gentiles. When, uh, when the messenger came to Cornelius, at the same time while Peter was on the roof, there was a vision given to him that was like, 
if you're hungry, eat this. And Peter's like, I'm not going to eat things that are not Jewish or, you know, not kosher. They're unclean. And he said, don't call anything that I call clean unclean. And, like, did that three times. And then when, when those three servants came to Peter's house, the spirit had to tell Peter, hey, Peter, I know there's some Gentiles downstairs, and I know you hate Gentiles, but, but don't overthink this. I sent them. Okay, that's my paraphrase. I sent them. I know you don't like the Gentile people, but don't ignore that and just listen to what they got to say. So this is, this is how the story finishes. Look at this. On the following day, go back, go back. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was watching or excuse me, waiting for them. And look at this. He had called together his relatives and close friends. So Cornelius knew that this man was going to come back. God had came, you know, sent the messenger. And what did he do? He felt an obligation to tell everybody he knew, his friends, his family. This is an obligation. I've been praying for something. And it doesn't tell you what his prayer was for. But I've been praying for something. And whatever's about to take place, I need to get as many people together as I possibly can. So it goes on and says, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. But but. Peter raised him up saying, stand up, I too am just a man. So please, just side note real quick, don't worship your pastor, please. I too am just a man. Don't worship Kanye or any other worship leader or anything. Don't worship that, okay? Uh, we're just men. We're just men. We're just women who are ministering to you because of our obligation. But going on with the story, as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. Why? Because Cornelius felt this obligation, like, I, I got to bring everybody together for what's about to happen. Look, and he said to them, you yourselves know, this is Peter, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. That's a barrier. You know how we get down. We don't mingle with you people. You see that? We, we, there's barriers. You are the barbarians in our lives. We don't mingle with you. I never forget when I started pastoring at Church on the Rock, the black community literally said, you, you cool, bro? You know, we don't really do church with them. And, 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 and white community, they let you pastor? Like, whoa, like, you're just going to say that to my face, right? So you see these barriers? You, you see these barriers? Blacks and whites both looking at each other, kind of pointing the finger, right? Like you, right, not white, sorry. Right. And so, so in a way, Peter's like, don't y'all know? Like, y'all know good and well. I don't kick it with y'all like that. We don't get along like that. But, but look, and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Anybody. Nobody. Unholy or unclean. He goes on and he says this. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask. He's asking now. I ask, for what reason have you sent for me? We still don't know what the prayer is. So look what happens. Cornelius says, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me shining in garments. He's telling the backstory, And he said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Your alms have been answered. I mean, have been remembered before God. Keep going. Therefore, send the Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon, the tanner by the sea. Going for, he says, so I went, so I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So then this is what happens. Opening his mouth, Peter said this, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. Before this, Peter's like, 
I got a problem with Gentiles. Surely they, they can't be saved. I got a problem with murderers. They can't be saved. Rapists can't be saved. Chama, blacks, Democrats, Republicans, all these barriers of who cannot be saved. But when Peter got there, he's like, man, I see now God doesn't show partiality the way man shows partiality. And then he said, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. No matter where you come from, what your background is, what your history is, God will save. You got that? And so this is my question right here. This is my statement. Go to my next slide. What if you sharing the gospel is God's answer to someone's prayer? Huh? Just let that sit. What if that person that's that barbarian to you that you won't share the gospel with, what if that person has been praying to God, praying for a change, praying, praying to surrender his life, praying for a way, how can I be saved? And you're that answered prayer. What if that's who you are? Peter was Cornelius' answered prayer. He chose the complete opposite of Cornelius. Why? Because that's how God shows out. That's how God shows out. When you start seeing people from complete opposites leading each other to life, then it has to be the work of God. It can't be the work of our networks and our personalities because we don't even get along like that. Like, that's just real. And that's what I love about Church on the Rock. They're like, man, I don't listen to this. I don't listen to this. We don't do this. We don't do that. I don't really like that. But forget it. God has used all of it, all of it, to birth what we're doing here right now. This is the breaking our barrier. So look at this. Rock response number one, ask yourself this question. Do I believe God is able to save anybody? Just, just ask it and be honest. And if you don't, talk to us. We will help you with that. Because I've been there. I've been there. I've looked at the most despair. I'm like, surely God can't save. I've been there. You see that? Do you believe God is able to save anybody? Rock response number two, if salvation is not based on you, then don't let you get in the way of sharing the gospel. If it's not based on you, then don't let you get in the way. So you have to believe that. And then finally, and somebody go tell the kids we're almost ready to get ready to go. But look at this. Share the gospel in a way that shows you believe our God is mighty to save. We're about to, we're about to sing our final song. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I want you to think about the words to this song. If God can move mountains, if he's the author of salvation, then why is he not mighty enough to save whoever that barbarian is in your life? Hmm? If you believe all the miracles of the Bible, if Jesus was going around and the blind really could see, the hemorrhaging was healed, the dead were raised, if you actually believe that, then what makes that person in your life that you don't believe can be saved unsavable? Explain it to me. I actually, come up with a logical reason why you can name anybody right now that you know that can't be saved. And this should change the way that you live your life. You see, the gospel is not just an introduction to life. The gospel is life. It changes everything about how you talk to people, what you think about people. They don't talk your language. They don't look like you. They don't have your beliefs. I don't care. God can save them too. But you have to be willing to see it as an obligation to share the gospel and let him handle the rest. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and sing.